Greetings, salutations, and welcome to another exciting installment of Just a Podcast, the 30th, in fact. I am Just Bob, and I want to tell you about a theory with respect to mental health that I came to very recently. Uh, I've talked on here before about certain of my mental health struggles over the years, including my struggles with uh, anxiety and depression and how I've been managing those over the last couple of years because I neglected my mental health for too long. And so now it's a priority to me. So I'm at home a couple weeks ago. I know I teased this installment a while back and I haven't been able to record it until now. We'll get into that a little bit later on, but I was at home and I get up to get something to drink, and uh, I've mentioned this before, but I don't expect everybody to remember, but uh, I'm a big seltzer drinker, and not just hard seltzer, I regular seltzer, and I have a soda stream soda carbonator. Actually, I've got a couple of them, but I've got one main one at my house that I use, and one thing I'm terrible about is refilling the bottles after I empty one. Usually what I'll do is I'll empty the bottle and I'll just put the empty bottle down on the counter. And there it will remain until all four of the bottles are empty and then I've got to fill them all up at the same time. And for reasons that should be very apparent, I hate doing that. <laughs> so this time... I go and grab the uh, one of the ice trays out of the freezer to put some ice in the cup because this is room temperature water right now. And all the ice trays are empty. Boo! And I realized, and this is going to sound a little weird, but I realized that I was in the middle of a depressive episode because all the ice trays were empty. Now, I might let my seltzer bottles sit around empty, but the ice trays, I'm usually pretty good about refilling right away because I really hate it when, you know, I'm like set on having a cold, ice-cold drink and there's no ice. And I don't have a uh, an automatic ice maker at the palatial estate. You know what I'm saying? I got to fill up the ice trays. And, but it got me to thinking, you know, that's a pretty good yardstick. You know, when I'm in a good place mentally, there's plenty of ice. <laughs> and when I'm not in such a good place, my mind is not on small tasks like that you know what i mean and i'm sure it's not just me but i'm sure a lot of people maybe you even have had a similar experience you know you're like working on getting through the day not having a like a breakdown not losing your wits and blowing up at somebody because <laughs> people tend to frown upon that sort of thing and so the ice cube trays get neglected because, you know, let's face it, as nice as it is to have an ice cold drink, uh, it's not life and death, you know. And I drank warm seltzer and I lived, I lived through the, lived through the horror of that experience. <laughs> but my point is, if you have to let certain of the small things go, so that you're okay, then do it. You know, I mean, to me that that should be a no-brainer. But I, you know, I know how it is. You know, I, I said earlier, I I've went through many years where I neglected my mental health, and I just sort of, and this is a common thing for a lot of men, but I just sort of put my head down, said I'm fine. And it's not okay when someone else 
dismisses your problem and says you're fine, deal with it. So it's also not okay for you to say that to yourself, you know, because it's a form of self-denial. And, hey, your problems are legit. I mean, they may not be earth-shaking, but it matters to you, and that's what counts. And because, hey, you know, if you're not looking after yourself, who can you expect to do it? So when you start to feel like less than stellar, you know, take a moment and address it. There may not be much that you can do about it in the moment, but being aware and cognizant of your state of mind is an important first step. And I'm happy to say that since that day, my ice cube trays have remained mostly full, <laughs> which is good. I hope your ice cube trays are full as well and as for what started all of this well i had a very close friend of mine pass away a year ago and uh for a time there i was just getting reminders about her everywhere you know and that's it's tough for anybody you know uh, most of us have lost someone we care about at some point and almost all of us will at some point if we haven't already and it's never easy you know and to make matters worse uh my friend was a relatively young woman early 30s and had uh children you know who don't have a mom anymore you know and that's it's pretty awful you know, the whole thing is pretty awful to me. And, uh, but, you know, I'm here. Life goes on. I have a job to do. I have responsibilities and they need to be met, you know. So there is that work-life balance. I've talked about that before. It is extremely important. Now, one thing that I was happy about, and I say that in the past tense, because it's no longer the case, was the Phillies. Now, just to briefly recap my history as a Phillies fan, in 1980, when the Phillies won the first World Series in franchise history, I was... Six years old. Okay. I was in the first grade. And I remember watching the series, you know, like everybody, and being super duper excited as a school child in Philadelphia, you know, because there is nothing that compares to living in a city at the time that they win. A championship and Philadelphia blew up and as a small child this is a sort of one of those core memories <laughs> you know I remember it as vividly as yesterday and I also remember that on the day of the parade half the kids in my class at school were absent because their parents took them to the parade and I was jealous af let me tell you because no school for a day and you're at the parade so that's awesome but no my parents were not going to the phillies parade because <laughs> they were not real big baseball fans i came by my fandom just by being there you know and so, yeah, that's like my early, you know, six years old, I was um, a Catholic school student, first grade. Now, uh, 
a couple years later, 1983, the Phillies captured the National League pennant again. Now, this time, I'm not living in Philadelphia anymore. My family moved from Philadelphia to Columbia, Maryland, which is a town outside of Baltimore when I was nine. And so we, my family and I, we, we spent uh, the latter half of that summer in the Baltimore Metro when the Orioles were also tearing up the league and they would go on to win the AL pennant. So it was a funny situation that, you know, you leave one city and go to another and those two cities' teams end up playing each other for a championship. Now, the 83 Phillies were not the same team as they'd been in 1980. All of the stars, most of the stars were still there. Steve Carlton was still there. Mike Schmidt was still there. Pete Rose was still there. And they were joined by Tony Perez and and Joe Morgan. It was like the it was like the Phillies wanted to recreate the big red machine, only it was the big maroon machine. <laughs> These guys were all at the end of their careers. And the Phillies, uh, or sorry, the Orioles were very much an up-and-coming team. And th- most of their veteran players were either in the prime of their career, guys like Eddie Murray, or young guys full of fire like Cal Ripken. That was his second full season in the majors that year. So I got to Baltimore just in time to see the Phillies lose to the Orioles in the World Series. And so there was not much love for the Baltimore Orioles in my house for a while. Although eventually by the time I became an adult, I had sort of realized that well, we're not in PA anymore, and so we're not going to be able to get Phillies games at home. So at that point, Orioles are the only baseball game in town, so I started listening to their games on the radio, watching them on TV. And I root for Baltimore in, in any sport, unless they're playing Philly. That's the thing. You know, I root for Philly over anybody else no matter what sport you're talking about. But, yeah, I mean, if, if if Baltimore is on, then I'll watch and I'll be rooting for Baltimore. You know, I was, I was living in Baltimore when the Ravens won their first Super Bowl in 2000, and that was, that was also a really great experience. You know, a lot of my close friends in Columbia and environments – they were all Ravens fans because Ravens were the home team there. And so, yeah, that was great to see that and to be living in Baltimore then. It was like uh, like, a, like a really magical time. But uh, I'm getting ahead of myself here. So, 93, okay, the Phillies go to the World Series again. And unlike the 80 team, the 93 team had a lot more in common with the 83 team and that the 93 team were a bunch of ragtag misfits who really had no business being in the World Series in the first place. And they faced the defending NL champs, the Braves and the NLCS, and beat them. The Braves, who would go on to appear in several more World Series and win one in 1995. And so it was a bit of a bummer when the 93 Phillies lost the World Series. However, I realized that they were pretty lucky just to be there. And so I wasn't too bummed about it. I mean, it was cool just seeing our guys in the World Series. And so 2008... The Phillies are a team of destiny, and they win the pennant again that year. And this was this was one good team. You know, Ryan Howard, Jimmy Rollins, Cole Hamels. You know, it was just a, a great, strong team. Chase Utley, all those guys. And 
they faced the Tampa Rays and put them away. So the 08 Phillies were champions, and I, I got my my 2008 World Series champions hoodie that I bought immediately after the series, and have it to this day. I've worn it, I think, 10 total times since 2008 because I don't want to mess it up and keep it looking nice. And I, I, I splattered marinara on it once, and I was very disappointed about that. <laughs> so the Phillies go back to the World Series in 2009, and they, if anything, they had a, a better team in 2009 than they did in 2008, but wasn't to be. They lost to the Yankees, and this was... The Yankees' only World Series win under manager Joe Girardi, and it was uh, the only ring for Alex Rodriguez during his stint with the Yankees. So that was a bummer. And the Phillies went back to the playoffs in 2010, and in the playoffs, uh, Roy Halladay threw... A perfect game, which was just phenomenal. I was at home watching that game on TV, and it was, like, really incredible. But the Phillies did not make it back to the series that year. They got bounced out of the playoffs early, and uh, back then technology was a little bit different than it is now. Like, this year's playoffs, I was able to watch here at work because a few of the games happened while I was on the air and I have uh, TV streaming so I can watch anywhere in the world which is pretty cool but in 2010 I didn't have that they just had like this it was um, this really primitive system but it was like this graphic that would like describe what happened, you know, Ryan Howard flies out to left. But that was it. Like, there was no video or nothing. It was just, like, this diamond on a on a solid green background, and it would show, like they do when they're showing you where, you know, the fields that a hitter is hit to. That's what it looked like. And this was on a Saturday night, and I was on the air with Just Dirty Saturday Nights, and when the Phillies lost that game, uh, Dirty Bob spent the rest of the evening laughing at me, <laughs> which I guess was kind of deserved, I suppose. Got to got to admit that. But uh, there were some lean years ahead, and like I said, baseball's always been my favorite sport. But there are times when when your team is consistently losing, and I've gone through this with every team that I root for, but when your team is consistently losing, it's just tough to watch it day in and day out. And anybody that has had a team that they follow that has just done poorly for a period of time, then you know what I'm talking about. If there's any, you know, any Cub fans or any Red Sox fans that listen to this podcast many years for them before they were able to to finally get a title again but i will say this it's pretty cool as a baseball fan it's pretty cool to be around and to be watching when all of these rare events take place you know what i mean cuz it's important i think to have some kind of sense of history, you know? So, going forward, um, so a couple years ago, the Phillies signed free agent Bryce Harper. And I'm well acquainted with Bryce Harper because he came from the Nationals, and the Nationals happened to be a local team also. And, uh, so I got a chance to see him play when uh, the Nationals would play the Phillies or uh, when they would play the Orioles, I would watch. And I, yeah, obviously, you know, this is a 
this is a good player and somebody who would bolster the team. But what I didn't realize, and I'm sure Philly's management were hoping that he was going to turn into like this incredible superstar with the Phillies, which is more or less what's happened. I mean, there's been times, especially in the 23 postseason, where he was basically carrying the team by himself. I mean, the guy stole home in one game. When's the last time you've seen that? Can't even remember the last time I saw that. So they get to the World Series in 2022. And I remember the victory in the NLCS and going into the World Series with a tremendous head of steam built up. Only to wind up collapsing in the series itself and the Astros running away with it. So the Astros, a very controversial franchise due to the cheating scandal from a few years ago. But the the, the 22 Astros and, and this year, too, um, were managed by Dusty Baker, who's a longtime, well-respected guy and not a cheater. And so I'd seen him. I, I saw him as a player with the Dodgers when I was a little kid. And I saw him managing with uh, a few different teams, uh, particularly the New York Giants. New York Giants. <laughs> uh, the San Francisco Giants. I'm not editing that out. I'm leaving it in. So I was like, all right, you know, it's cool that this guy finally got a ring as a manager. I kind of wish he hadn't done it against my team. So going into the 23 season, I was more than a little bit salty about the Houston Astros. And when they got beat in the ALCS by Texas, I was like, whoa, maybe. Phillies Rangers, what a matchup. And I still think that would have been a great matchup, but it wasn't to be because there were a couple games where the Phillies just looked flaccid. They're just limp. And Arizona came out, played their game, and they won. And that's sports. Sports, you know, as a sports fan, it's in many ways sort of a microcosm for life. Because things happen, and sometimes they suck. And as a fan at home, there is nothing you can do about it. <laughs> you cannot influence the play on the field. And so you just have to sort of eat it when your team eats it. Which is disappointing. So, yeah, I remember the Game 7 of the NLCS this year. The game ends, and my thing is... Normally, I don't watch post-game shows when the game is over. I'm done. I don't want to listen to a bunch of talking heads talk about the game for another hour. I just watched it. I saw all the stuff. I don't need a recap of it. But that night, I, I did leave the coverage on for the post-game show, and I was in shock. I mean, I... Don't think I have ever had a game where I felt like I had a personal stake in it before that. You know, I'm always rooting for my teams. I'm bummed when they lose. I'm happy when they win. But it's not a life or death situation for me. We've all seen those YouTube videos of the guys and it seems like they're always like Dallas Cowboys fans or New York Giants fans or something. Their team loses and they're like sobbing and destroying their TV and whatnot. That is not me, okay? <laughs> not destroying my TV over something like that. But I was really personally hurt. You know, you know like it happened like something happened to me personally. Which, of course, it did not, and uh, rationally you're aware of this, but, you know, it's hard to remember that. 
when you're sitting there on the couch, totally crestfallen, knowing we came so close and just couldn't get the job done, could not put away Arizona. And man, so there was a three-day window between the end of the National League Championship Series and the beginning of the World Series. And for those three days, I was very much on the fence about whether I wanted to watch the game or not. And when it came on, um, the game started at 8, I'm off the air at 7, and I got home from work at about 7.45 or, or so. And the game started, and I turned it on, and I watched about a half an inning, and I shut it off. And that is the first, this was the first year since 94 where I didn't watch at least one whole game of the World Series and usually all of them. Usually I'm, I'm, I'm all on board. Even when, you know, even like 2010 when the Phillies got knocked out and years when, you know, they were in the basement, didn't even qualify, didn't even come close to qualifying for the postseason, I would watch the World Series. It was like a tradition for me. And this year, I I haven't seen a single minute of it since I shut off game one, and I don't care. I don't miss it. I don't want to see it. I feel like if I see the Arizona Diamondbacks again, I'm going to vomit on my shoes. And I, like I said, I've never had... A loss in sports affect me that way. And I think it's because, you know, I was feeling depressed anyway. So suddenly everything is seen through this sort of haze of melancholy. And that's how, in my experience, things can go from bad to worse. And so I find it is important to, for one thing, remind myself that a game, a professional sports game, does not affect my life for the most part. You know, if I got a ticket and the game gets rained out or something like that, that affects me. But as a rule, your team is going to do what they're going to do and... You're going to live your life, and that's it. So for me, it became a real personal thing. And I, like I said, I'm not one of those people that takes sports that seriously. I mean, I'm a committed sports fan, but I feel like it has its place. And so because I was in a poor headspace anyway, really bad funk like I came to work on Monday and was just like I don't want to do anything I don't want to see anyone I don't want to talk to anyone (laughs) you know what I mean I want to lock myself up in a dark room and just stay there but as I mentioned earlier adulting that's a thing and I've got responsibilities I've got something to do and I'm not going to allow that to have an effect on the way that I do my job. You listening on the radio shouldn't necessarily know, oh, he's bummed out. You know, that's why I'm talking about it now, because that's what the podcast is. The podcast is like everyone has their own sort of theme for their podcast you know crazy bob's talking football um nasty bob does a lot of interviews with musicians and stuff and comedians and me this is like my stream of consciousness i go into these things 
with a very loose idea of what topics I'm going to cover. And then I just start. <laughs> and this is the result. Maybe that's good or bad. I don't know. I'll leave that up to you to decide. But I I saw an interview with Marshawn Lynch a while back. Uh, if the name doesn't ring a bell to you, he was an NFL running back, played for Buffalo and uh, most recently the Raiders. In between, he played for Seattle Seahawks. He was on their Super Bowl winning team, and he was on the team that should have won another one but didn't, thanks to Pete Carroll, not calling for a run. (laughs) So I, I see an interview with Marshawn Lynch, and he says, you got to look after your mentals and you got to take care of your chickens. And what that means is you got to watch your mind, your state of mind, stay on top of your mentals and your chickens. It's like counting your chickens, you know, that's what you got, what you got to take care of, what you got to do. You got to watch that stuff. And that's something that I try and keep in mind because life is a series of peaks and valleys, and we all know this. And it's all about how you respond when adversity happens. And so to me, like I said about the ice cubes earlier, it's a good metaphor. You know, if your ice cubes are filled, (laughs) then it means you're taking care of the small stuff, the little tasks, the maintenance work, you know, that because that also describes a lot of what we do in our lives. It's maintenance work. It's upkeeping, you know, stuff like that. And it's important because if you don't, and I've had times in my life where my state of mental health was extremely poor, Uh, you know, I've had PTSD and, you know, a lot of, a lot of stuff like that. And, you know, that stuff is gnarly and it can knock you to the ground. And the important thing is not to let it because... It's easier oftentimes to stay on your feet than it is to get back up when you're knocked down. But of course, and I I, I was talking to somebody I know about this not that long ago. It's never over until you give up. And we, most of us, have had a time in our lives when you've thought about quitting, whatever it is, something you're doing. Uh, it just seems like everything is overwhelming and difficult. And I feel like that's something that we all deal with. And because of the stigma surrounding mental health in the U.S., it's not widely talked about, although that is changing. But you get, like, toxic masculinity and that sort of thing, you know what I mean? Like, people saying, well, you're you're weak if you can't deal with this. You know, how does that help? People say that kind of thing all the time. You see it on the socials and the comments and stuff like that. I don't know for the life of me what good that is supposed to do. I really don't. If anything, it's going to make somebody feel worse. It's like your kid gets injured and you say, oh, you're fine. You know? Oh, you're fine. Possibly you're not fine. And that's something 
that only you know. And if you confide in somebody and they blow you off that way, well, to hell with them. That person ain't in your corner and you don't need them. That's an oversimplification, you know. But hopefully the people around you, the people close to you, will have your back and support you. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky. I have a very small but very tight support system of people around me uh, that I check them with and talk to regularly uh, who care about me and vice versa. And you got to have that because it's not that hard to become isolated. And for me, you know, I, I – Struggle with anxiety and uh, uh, being social phobic and all this other stuff. And so I went through a period where I was extremely isolated. You know, I was working overnights, wasn't really seeing other people that much. You know, the only people that I saw on a consistent basis were the cashiers at Sheets where I bought my energy drinks before I came to work, you know. And that's just not sustainable. You know what I mean? So it's it's crucial and, and vitally important that if you need help, that you get it. And you may have to try a number of different avenues. And, and that's okay. That's what I did, you know. And, and there's no shame in that. There's no shame in struggling. There's no shame in saying that you need help. And there's no shame for asking for help. And I, and that is one thing I will not put up with. All right. Like I've been, I've been called weak for a bunch of things before. And you can't let it linger. You got to put it in the rear view. Because it's worth reminding yourself, I think, that some rando who doesn't know you, and people on social media do this all the time, they'll tell you, they'll make inferences about your character or your personality based on one comment, and they'll think that they have a point. (laughs) That used to really make me angry, and I would want to correct it. And all that. And then eventually it dawned on me. It dawned on my tiny little brain <laughs> that if you try to defend yourself or explain yourself to a troll, all you're doing is you're giving them what they want. What they want is a reaction from you. So don't let them have it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Don't give that. Don't hand that over. Don't give that person that kind of power over you. You know what I mean? Because believe me, they don't deserve it. And it's difficult to do at first. Because, you know, I think a lot of us would prefer to be liked rather than disliked. That's a... You know, that's a normal human thing to relate to, you know. We'd we'd rather be liked than disliked. And sometimes you think, well, if I try and take this improper and um, unrequested criticism from somebody that perhaps they'll I don't know that they'll respect you or appreciate you or whatever. And my my experience in that is commonly it doesn't happen. So if someone's wrong, tell them they're wrong. They want to argue. Let them argue with themselves. The best way to win an argument is to avoid it. I read that in the book. How to Win Friends and Influence People by Andrew Carnegie. And if you haven't read this book, I recommend it highly because it is uh, 
full of good, useful information and tidbits and things, and it changed my life. My dad gave me the book when I was a teenager, when I was 15 or 16, gave me a copy of the book. He said, you should check this out. I think it would do you some good. And I read it, and I was like, wow. And if you are in a profession where you have to deal with the public, that's especially good because there's tips for for selling if you're a salesperson. There's tips for uh, navigating your relationships with your friends and your family, all kinds of great stuff in there. And I actually make a point of rereading that book on an annual basis, and I'm just about overdue. So I have it, I have it on my my Kindle. <laughs> so everything's an ebook now for me, but I'll download it usually right right around the holidays. So I guess we're coming up on that time. But I'll download it and reread it, and every time it'll remind me of a bunch of useful things that I had forgotten. But the biggest thing that I've ever gotten from it is what I just said. The best way to win an argument is to avoid it. And if you are not necessarily interested in, quote unquote, winning the argument, but you really want to persuade the person you're talking to of your side, well, there is another tactic that is in the book that I strongly recommend because it's harder to disagree with somebody once you start telling them yes. So you ask them questions to elicit a yes response. A person who is saying yes is inclined to continue saying yes. You know, it's basic psychology. And I've pulled that particular trick out of my ass a few times and it has been extraordinarily helpful to me but the overarching point is keep an eye on your ice cubes you know whatever that is to you because it's going to be something different to everybody to me it was ice cubes but something else whatever it may be in your own personal life that reminds you to look after yourself because you can't be there for anybody else if you're not there for yourself. You are your own biggest advocate and you really are the only person that knows best what it is you need and what you want. And so, you know, don't be afraid of stepping up and saying, this is where I'm standing, and this is the way I see it. And stand up for yourself. I know that's easier said than done, depending upon who your, for lack of a better word, adversary might be. And to navigate certain situations can be difficult and trying. I've been in situations where I was with a person who was very manipulative and able to use me for their own ends without my necessarily even realizing it in the moment. And in retrospect, you go, how could I be so dumb? But in the moment... In the moment, I mean, a lot of people can be blinded in the moment. You know, you become sort of myopically focused on one thing to the exclusion of everything else around you. And that's another thing. It's inherently human. It's something that most of us have been guilty of at some point. And... I'm not suggesting that you beat yourself up over that, but certainly do be aware of your surroundings. 
you know, I, I, I talk about spatial awareness. Now, I'll give you a, a short little <laughs> primer on my feelings about spatial awareness. So when I was 18, I started working in an Italian restaurant in Elkett City, Maryland. And I started off there as a dishwasher. And so I would be in the kitchen washing glasses and plates and silverware and things, pots and pans, stuff like that. There were these guys that worked there. They were called expediters or runners, and they were the ones who would take the food and deliver it to the tables so that the wait staff could be free to get other tables orders, you know, and it was intended to sort of speed the whole process up. So you had like the wait staff would take the order and put it in. The cook makes the order. The expediter takes the food out to the table and then the bussers pick the plates and stuff up when they're done. But the thing of it is the way the kitchen was set up where the dishes came out, there's like this hot, uh, surface was like a heat light, heat lamp. So you would put the the dishes under the heat lamp, and they wouldn't be there. For, I mean, we're not talking about like, you know, where you pre make it and it sits there all day. I mean, you know, for two or three minutes before they can pick it up and take it out. So the expediters, at least one of them. And maybe all of them, but at least one of them. I don't think he had ever worked in a kitchen before because he just did not know what was around him. You know, like he'd be waiting for a dish and he would step back, bump into me when I'm going from the front of the dishwasher to the side to get the load out. And I I finally like I, I got to the now. Remember, I'm 18. All right. I am a hot headed hot-tempered, and just plain hot-headed. Well, I said that, but uh, uh, teenager. So I, I I was apt to go off on people, something I'm not proud of looking back, but it was true. I finally turned around and unloaded on the guy. I said, can you please look where you're going? This is like the fifth time tonight that you have bumped into me. You bump into me again, and... I'm going to give you a wedgie. I didn't say that, but it would have been funny. And so that was, to me, that was, it was sort of like a light bulb going off over my head to realize spatial awareness, knowing what's going on around you. And it's not just physically, although that is important too, but it's also mentally, you know, if you are so hyper-focused on one thing, that you're missing everything around you. You know, you're you're driving and you're so hyper focused on what's in front of you that you end up running a red light because you didn't look up and see it, you know? That's a extreme example, but you get the idea. So my recommendation to anybody who listens to this and I, I wouldn't say advice I'm not here to give you advice and I doubt that you're listening to this podcast to get advice from me <laughs> because if you knew how disordered my life was you would definitely not be soliciting advice from me but my recommendation is that you try and be aware at all times at what's around you they say Stop and smell the flowers. And that's a similar sentiment. Life is a precious gift, so we're told. But, I mean, I believe that's true. And we're all here for a limited time, kind of like the McRib. So I feel like life is too short to go through it miserable. And I had to learn that the hard way, which most of us do too. But be very careful about what kind of power over yourself you give to other people. 
because there are people out there that would abuse it and abuse you. And the, just the idea of somebody treating you that way makes me feel bad because I want the best for you. I want you to be happy. I want you to be living your best life, whatever that means to you. One thing that it means to me is not allowing a baseball game to plunge me into depression again. Because <laughs> that's not that's not good. Even you know, even when the Eagles lost the world the 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 uh, Super Bowl last year, I wasn't that depressed about it. I was. I remember very clearly. I'm like, wow, that sucked. <laughs> now for another cheesesteak, you know. I sorry, I wasn't in a depression. Of course, I I had a few beers that day, which I did not have when I was watching the NLCS. So beer ran out. Six days till payday. What are you gonna do? Back to regular seltzer. <laughs> so I, you know, I guess the bottom line here is. The ice cubes are a good metaphor for taking care of yourself and and supporting yourself. And I hope that you will do that. And I hope you understand that it's not weak to look after yourself. It's a very critical form of strength, I think. Certainly not weak. It's not weak to get help. And I, I learned that the hard way, you know. You, I'm sure, have heard uh, the story of my broken ribs. Um, long story short, I contracted pneumonia in 2003, and I was living in a house with no heat and no electricity through a series, like a comedy of errors. Just a bunch of factors all came together and they were all bad and it was the middle of winter and so I contracted pneumonia and I was coughing so hard and so long that I fractured both I fractured a rib on each side of the back of my rib cage and went to get medical attention and the ER doctors blew me off, and so I really wasn't treated at all. <laughs> they just sort of said, you know, oh, you'll be fine. It'll heal on its own. Good night. You know, no pain meds, no, no anything. It was so bad that in order to keep from screaming in pain every time I coughed, I had to brace my back like with both feet against a solid wall just so I could <clears throat> just caught just to try and clear the phlegm out of my throat that's how bad it was and it went on for months finally healed up and I I, I kind of put it into the rearview mirror as you do with major injuries I'm sure you've had a major injury at some time and you're mired in it because the body heals at its own rate, and you can't speed it up. Once it's over, you're putting it behind you. You don't want to linger on that. So fast forward to 2021, and I did something. I don't know what it was, but I refractured the rib on the left-hand side and I'm just in agony and nitty gritty who has more horse sense on her worst day than I've ever had in my whole life put together says make an appointment with the doctor now <laughs> you know because I had to be told and that's going back to what I said about your support system, your circle of people. This is a time when when that was 
a very good thing for me because were it not for that, I would have probably just toughed it out. You know, I grew up in a household. My parents both had really strong work ethics. Didn't take sick days ever. <laughs> you know, showed up for work day in and day out, no matter how bad they felt. And so I just, I just grew up thinking, well, that's that's what you do. You got a job, you go and you do it. You know, nothing mysterious about that. But I have since learned that, you know, my parents meant well, of course, and they did instill that work ethic in me. But I have learned work-life balance, you know, and if you neglect your health for long enough, work ain't going to be a problem anymore because you ain't going to be able to go at all. And I certainly did not want that to happen. I've said it before. I really love my job. I really love being able to connect with you. And I am honored and flattered and honestly touched that you would take the time to listen to what I have to say here and and on the air every day. And so I went and I got my ribs checked out and I underwent a nerve block procedure. And the cool thing about the nerve block procedure is it's temporary, you know. That's not the good thing. I wish it was permanent, but it's temporary. But I got the the nerve block, and from the time I got it to the time that it began to wear off, that whole time that rib's healing up. And so by the time the nerve block's effects were completely gone, it was about three months, three, four months later, and I had no pain. You know, I could sit down even... Like I could sit against a brick wall, <laughs> you know, and not have any pain in my back. So that was good. But, you know, if I hadn't been pushed into doing it, I wouldn't have done it. And sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll remember that just out of the blue and I'll stop and I'll think, man, you know, I, I really need to get on board with myself. And I need to be better about pushing myself to do the things that I need to do to make sure that I'm still around. Because I've made my peace with the idea that life is short and eventually it's going to end. Like one day I'm just not going to be around anymore. And... The best thing, in my feeling, the best thing you can do is make peace with it and acknowledge it. The cycle of life has a beginning, middle, and end. You know, I'm not really afraid of death. I would prefer not to go in some horrifying manner. Like, I watched... Faces of death a while back, a while back, this was like in the 90s, I was working at, a, at an auto dealership and one of the mechanics had brought in a VHS copy of Faces of Death and, and a, a bunch of the guys were watching it in the break room on the break room TV. And I went and sat in there. I, I was sitting in there for about 15, 20 minutes like, how do you watch this? This is horrifying. I mean, it's really, really horrifying. It's awful. So, we all got to go. I hope it doesn't hurt. <laughs> you know, I really hope it doesn't hurt. Because it's like you spend your life in pain. Do you want to go out that way too? I don't think so. That's why I, I, I read stories about people committing acts of violence on themselves. I'm just like, no thanks, man. <laughs> Not me. I got things to do. I got a lot to do. And you got a lot to do, too. And I hope you do it. And I hope you retain a little something for my story. You know, because, like I said, it's an honor for me to be able to share my experiences with you. And I 
appreciate very much that you take the time to listen. So until next time, this has been just a podcast. I am Just Bob. And remember, watch your ice cube trays.